The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Master, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said to him, Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he is clean all over. So you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put his garments back on and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so, for indeed I am. If I therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Well, tonight is certainly a big night. It's a big night for a lot of reasons. One of them is it's the last night with Jesus. We hear that the night when he knew that his hour had come. It's his last night. And and kind of like the last meal, you know, the last night is an important time. We also have that this day marks the end of Lent and the start of Triduum. And so we, of course, start with Holy Thursday, Good Friday, the Easter Vigil, Easter uh, Day. But I think one of the other uh, big things about today that I'd like to talk about specifically is that two sacraments are instituted today. We have first the institution of the ministerial priesthood, and the second is the Eucharist. Now, uh, John Paul II, I was just reading a letter that he uh, wrote to priests, um, not too long ago, because I'm not always the best prepared. Um, but he was talking beautifully about how the priesthood is born of the Eucharist, but also that the Eucharist is dependent on the priesthood. Right? These two sacraments that are instituted tonight in their specific ways are codependent on each other. There can be no Eucharist without priests. 
And there is no priesthood without the Eucharist. And so we see the intimacy of these two so clearly on tonight when they're both instituted. In fact, John Paul II says that, uh, or Saint, uh, Pope Saint John Paul II, uh, says that the priestly persona Christi culminates, so culminates, kind of all comes together in the moment of consecration of bread and wine. At the Mass, the priesthood is culminating. But it's not just the priesthood, right? The priesthood is not reduced to the Eucharist, just like the Eucharist isn't reduced to the priesthood, right? Uh, They're codependent on each other, but not, uh, not reduced to. What I'd like to do is kind of unpack the priesthood a little bit of what I've kind of been thinking about. Um... And of course, myself, this is only my third Holy Thursday. We have behind us, behind me, over a hundred years of priesthood, right? Just between two, two, of, the, two of the four, right? Uh, we have a hundred years. Um, and of course, they can talk about so much more, but I just, in my youth of the priesthood, can speak about what I know and what I've seen within it. And what I'm going to say is uh, the five P's of the priesthood. Five P's. It's, it's kind of came together, okay? Um, the first is Peter. When I was thinking about what is one of the best examples of the priesthood, I think Peter is. Although every single priest is in, acting in persona Christi, so obviously we're all supposed to be, you know, at, trying to be like Christ, right? I think Peter is one of the greatest examples because we're human beings trying to act in the persona Christi. We're human beings who, like Peter, uh, have zeal, but we also have stupidity. We have failures, but we have guts, right? We have sacrifice, we have love, we understand mercy, right? We understand that Peter, within his priesthood, right, even today in the gospel, we hear of his kind of fight with Jesus, right? He's He's called Satan by Jesus, right? Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God does, but like men do, right? And I think Peter, in his priesthood, even after he experiences Pentecost, he's not a perfect priest. He runs away from persecution. But he ultimately, right, chooses and and lays down his life in that great sacrifice. And so I think Peter, when we see Peter, we should think of one of the, the clearest examples of the priesthood. The second P, which I think follows off after Peter, is not perfect. Um, of course, that statement, not perfect, doesn't really start with a P. It starts with an N, which isn't perfect, so it kind of fits, right? Doubly. Um, and just once again, I think what I've learned within the priesthood is that priests are humans, right? We're humans called to mediate between God and men, um, but within that, we're if, we're, we're, God uses these earthen clay vessels, right? Um, he uses us even though we're not perfect, even though many priests are wounded themselves, even though that some priests are not, you know, there's much holier parishioners, but God uses the priests even though they're not perfect. And of course, we know today more than ever, right, 
the, the woundedness of the priesthood in the modern era with different um, scandals of the priesthood, right? And although it does challenge us in our ministerial priesthood and say, does God really intend for this to be instituted? I think what's powerful about it is how even though the priests are not perfect, the priesthood remains. Not because of us, not because we humans are able to perpetuate it, but because God does. Any other institution would have failed long ago, would have gotten rid of in its imperfection, but yet the priesthood continues. The third P is powerful. I don't think, I don't know of anything more powerful in the world than the priesthood. We're not powerful because we're so good, right? Not because we're so powerful, not because, you know, we're so strong. We're so powerful. The priesthood is so powerful because of Jesus, right? Because Jesus gives that grace. And we receive that grace not to hold on to it ourselves, not for our personal salvation, but to give it, right? We're like walking around nuclear bombs, right? (laughs) Walking around this power that explodes at times that I don't get because I'm not doing it, right? But the priesthood is so incredibly powerful. There's nothing more powerful in this world that can bring Jesus present in the sacraments, right? To bestow uh, the Eucharist, right? To make bread and wine the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more powerful than that. To be able to administer anointing of the sick and bring peace to those who are in danger of death. To absolve sins, absolve someone of that weight, right? Now, of course, the priest doesn't do it in and of themselves and the human But through that beautiful gift that we've been given within the priesthood, that is incredibly powerful. Fourthly, is purposeful. You know, I see today so much, so many people that have a total lack of meaning, right? What does this world even mean? What is the purpose of it all? I see within the priesthood, right, When there's something, there's no greater impact in the world, and so there's nothing more, there's no other uh, area, no no other job, uh, no other, other way that I see more purposeful than the priesthood that brings Jesus, that brings peace, that brings forgiveness of sins. What an amazing meaning, right? What an amazing purpose that the priesthood brings to this world um, and to all the faithful. The fifth P is points. The priesthood, I see very clearly, points the whole Christian community towards something. Towards the Eucharist, yes, uh, but specifically I'm thinking about points towards eternity. The priesthood points towards the eternity through the Eucharist, but I would also say that it points to eternity in our celibacy, right? Now, our celibacy can sometimes be seen as kind of a functionary. Well, if 
if we were married, right, we'd have to spend time with our family, and so now we can spend more time serving you. Or they sometimes see it as functionary, like, well, if we allowed priests to be married, then we'd have to pay them more, and we don't really have enough money, so we're not going to let them get married, right? Neither one of those are good reasons for celibacy. One of the greatest reasons uh, that I see is the pointing to eternity, to remind us that marriage is until death do us part, and that we're all ordered towards eternity, right? And what's our eternal goal, right? What, at the end of our life, really matters? Ultimately, I think for myself, right, that statement, well done, good and faithful servant, right? We all hope at the end of our life, right, that we might be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, to be welcomed into heaven with Jesus. And I think what really uh, clears it up um, is St. John of the Cross says that we shall be judged by charity. I find that so striking, and I, 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 we see it within the Gospels as well, right? The woman who, who uh, washes Jesus' feet with her tears, and she, he says that, you know, she's forgiven because she has loved much. I see this beautiful, beautiful pointing towards eternity, that the priests lay down our lives in charity to point us towards what really matters. Now, those were five Ps, but because one of them wasn't really a P, I added another one, uh, which was passion. Now, I'm a pretty passionate person, uh, passionate uh, specifically in sports, and, and when something gets me, right, uh, I can be a very passionate person. And one of the most, uh, be- one of the most beautiful um, reflections that uh, continues to strike me is about God's passion for us. Uh, Benedict XVI uh, wrote uh, in Deus Caritas Est that God's love is eros. Eros is one of the Greek words for love. And eros is kind of often translated in English as erotic, and so we kind of see it as this uh, sexual love. Uh, But we even see within that kind of translation in some way this eros love, which isn't just sexual, but is primarily a passionate love. And so when we think about God loving us, we think we should think about this eros, this passionate love that God has for us. In fact, we have Jesus who lays down his life in the passion, right? His passionate love guides him through the passion, through his death, right? And this passion, I see, is so clear within the priesthood, right? Especially today, why would anyone become a priest, right? Um, If you don't know, it's not very popular with the world, right? You can't get married, you know, you you get stuck on a job and you're told where to go, right? Um, It's not exactly the most popular in America. And so in order to be able to choose that, you have to have a certain amount of passion, right? Love of God and love of neighbor. And I would say that's true with me, and it's especially true, and I've noticed during this time of not being able to serve in the normal way that I do as a priest, I've been struck by how hard that is because I have a passion, right? 
I have a passion to lay aside my life and to be able to serve in the Eucharist, in the sacraments, to be a presence for Christ, to be able to give Jesus Christ, to be able to give that peace. And when I'm not able to do that, I realize how important that passion and love for all of you is. Now those are my five or six P's of the priesthood. And I hope, um, and I I know many of you uh, love uh, the priests and continue to pray for us. I ask you to continue to do so during this time, knowing that we are passionate for you, right? This is why we go through all the different technological headaches that I've had over the last few days, wanting to break my computer multiple times, uh, for you, because I want to serve you. I want to love you because God has given me this gift of grace, this gift of the sacrament of the priesthood, not for myself, but for you. And without you, my priesthood doesn't make sense. Without the Eucharist, it doesn't make sense. But what's beautiful is that it does make sense. It does make sense even in this strange time of the church. Because God's plan is always fulfilled. And his plan is fulfilled tonight, even as you're not able to be here in these pews. It's fulfilled because we're praying, because you're praying, because you desire and passionately love God, uh, just as we do. And so I'd like to finish, uh, normally during the Chrism Mass, the priests would all renew their baptism, or not their baptismal vows, uh, that's another time. Uh, we would renew our priestly promises. And the bishop asks these questions to us. And so we talked about it a little bit before. And so we'd like to all renew our uh, priestly promises uh, with you as well. And so uh, my brother priests, would you please stand And I'm not the bishop, and uh, so this isn't liturgical. This isn't actually happening. This is just part of my homily, so it's not actually the renewal of the priestly promises insofar as the chrism mass, uh, but we do desire to renew our priestly promises with you. Um, I'm going to say beloved brothers. It actually says sons because it's the bishop speaking, but I'm going to say beloved brothers. On the anniversary of that day, When Christ our Lord conferred his priesthood on his apostles and on us, are you resolved to renew in the presence of, says your bishop, but we're not, the bishop isn't here, and God's holy people, the promises you once made? I am. Are you resolved to be more united with the Lord Jesus and more closely conformed to him denying yourselves and confirming those promises about sacred duties toward Christ's church, which prompted by love of him, you willingly and joyfully pledge on the day of your priestly ordination. I am. Are you resolved to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God in the Holy Eucharist and the other liturgical rites and to discharge faithfully the sacred office of teaching following Christ, the head shepherd, not seeking any gain, but moved only by zeal for souls? I am. 
And then the bishop turns towards the people, towards all of you, and asks, As for you, dearest sons and daughters, pray for your priests, that the Lord may pour out his gifts abundantly upon them and keep them faithful as ministers of Christ the high priest, so that they may lead you to him who is the source of salvation. And then the people would respond, Christ hear us, Christ graciously hear us. And so I encourage you as we um, continue this Mass, continue to remember the institution of the Eucharist and the priesthood, ask for your continued prayers for us so that we might uh, be priests like Peter, not perfect, powerful, purposeful, priests that point, and priests that are passionate.